In 2007, Ashley Nicole Summers was a 14-year-old girl beginning to test her limits. She was becoming defiant and rebellious, as many teenagers do for a time. Ashley was skipping school. She was dating an older boy. She even went and got a tattoo with his name on it, all at the age of 14. And her mom had had enough. After another argument at home, Ashley went to live with her uncle, Kevin. Ashley's family was from the Cleveland, Ohio area, and most relatives lived within a few miles of each other on this west side neighborhood of Cleveland. As the story goes, Ashley attended a July 4th party at a relative's house and then left the party on foot. No one has seen her since. In fact, during the time frame she disappeared, there were some more disappearances of young women in the Cleveland area, most notably Amanda Berry and Gina DeJesus in 2003 and 2004. Ashley Summers was often the third name mentioned when the media would cover the case of the missing girls. Amanda, Gina, and Ashley were connected by location and age, although they weren't thought to have known each other personally. On May 6, 2013, Amanda Berry and Gina DeJesus were found alive after escaping captivity from the Cleveland home they had been kept in for over 10 years. Ashley was not with them. Ariel Castro was their captor. He was eventually arrested and charged with over 700 counts. Castro denied ever having any contact with Ashley or knowing anything about her case. When Ashley's uncle was arrested, charged, and convicted with sex offenses in 2015, people began to speculate the worst. Could a family member know more than they are saying? The FBI has begun to look deeper into Ashley's case, interviewing family, searching yards and homes, and even conducting a backyard property search on the uncle's former property. But still to this date, no clues as to Ashley's whereabouts. This episode of Where Are They? features the unsolved disappearance of 14-year-old Ashley Nicole Summers. to spread awareness of unsolved missing persons cases. So please feel free to share this episode and Ashley's name. Let's continue to keep her name out there. Someone must know something. Please be sure to subscribe. We release weekly episodes and can be found on all major podcast platforms. 
If you are watching us on YouTube, be sure to subscribe and hit the like button to help keep our videos searchable and our missing persons cases visible. If you have a case recommendation for us, please email me at canwefindthem at gmail.com. We will also be featuring our first charity of the month beginning March 1st, and we have chosen to work with The Charlie Project. The Charlie Project is a great resource, an online database that is kept up mostly through the volunteer work of Megan Good. This database keeps record of all active missing persons cases. We will be releasing some merchandise to raise money and possibly doing some other fun things to help Megan in her quest in keeping up her database. Keep an eye on our Instagram and Facebook page for more information. Now let's talk about the case of Ashley Summers. I know this one frustrates a lot of people, and I sure wish we could go back in time to the year 2007 when she disappeared. I'd like to think that family and police would handle this case a lot differently if they knew then what we all know now. Ashley Nicole Summers was from a large family in Cleveland, Ohio, having 10 aunts and uncles and many, many cousins. The family was very close and did many things together. Jennifer, Ashley's mom, said Ashley was the adventurous one. They liked to occasionally stay up late together and watch scary movies, and they took annual summer trips to the Cedar Point Amusement Park in Sandusky, Ohio where Ashley loved to ride all of the roller coasters. Now in 2007, Ashley began acting differently. She became more rebellious. She left the house without permission. She was skipping school. One time she even stole Jennifer's money from her dresser drawer, which consisted of her entire paycheck and went out and got a tattoo. Jennifer was furious, and to top it off, the tattoo was the name of her boyfriend, 16-year-old Jean Gill, who Jennifer had deeply disapproved of. When Jennifer and Ashley had a pretty big fight one day, Ashley decided to go stay with her uncle Kevin for a while. This wasn't too unusual. Earlier that spring, she had been staying with her grandmother as the family was bonding together and trying to rein Ashley in and hopefully get her back on the right track. Kevin Donathan lived a few miles from Ashley's mom's house on the west side of Cleveland. Kevin was actually Ashley's great uncle, and by most accounts, he was known as the cool uncle, a single guy, the one with all of the fun gadgets, electronics, and the one that took the kids to the lake during the summer and did all the fun things. And while he might have been the fun one, there was at least one family member who was interviewed that claimed to have seen some unsettling behavior from Kevin at a family get-together that made her uncomfortable. She doesn't really give specifics, but felt that others didn't seem as unsettled by it. So other than deciding this man would not be left alone with her children, Nothing was really done or said at the time. 
Ashley going to stay with her uncle Kevin wasn't alarming. The family was very close. They all lived in the same general area for the most part, and no one had any real reason to worry. In fact, most people thought it was a very temporary situation and Ashley would soon return home to her mother. However, shortly after moving in with Uncle Kevin, Ashley and he had a fight, and apparently it was a fight that caused Kevin to be angry enough to break her cell phone. This would lead to Ashley having no working cell phone when she disappeared. The next part of the story gets a tad confusing, and I can only think that some of the details were documented incorrectly somewhere, but let's take a look at what we can and what we think we do know. By all official records, it states that Ashley attended a pool party for the 4th of July, but she was said to be the only one that showed up to this party, which was at another relative's house. Some family members state this party was held on the date of July 4th, but other records have this date as July 9th. So this party was at another uncle's house in the area, her uncle Keith. However, another discrepancy that comes up is a relative has come forward and said that they don't believe this to be true, that it was a party at Keith's house as Keith wasn't even living in Cleveland at that time frame. So that really confuses me. How can we not verify this party did or did not happen? And how can we not verify where these people actually lived at the time? I did try to do some property record searches, but it is possible and likely that they were renting or they had owned the property under a different last name, and I didn't see anything official for Cuyahoga County. The other part of that piece of information that puzzles me is how was she the only one to show up for this party? She had a pretty big family, and it seems that they were relatively close. How was it that nobody else showed up? The only thing I can really think of is maybe it wasn't an actual party, but maybe she had decided to go over and hang out and swim. And over time, it was referred to as a party. So after spending the afternoon at her Uncle Keith and Aunt Renee's house, supposedly, Ashley apparently grabbed her stuff and started walking home. They thought she was headed off to her Aunt Christine's house less than a mile away. Since her and her uncle had a fight, when she didn't come home later that evening, he said he wasn't worried. He felt she just went back to her mom's house or possibly another friend or relative, which was something very common for Ashley to do. Likewise, her mother wasn't worried about her at all as she felt she was at the uncle's house. So because of this, it took a few days to actually report her as missing. It was her mom, Jennifer, who made the official first report, and the police generally blew it off as a runaway situation at first. Ashley had a little bit of a history misbehaving, and the police felt she was probably with a friend or a friend that the family didn't even know of. 
Another interesting detail here is Jennifer lived in a different police jurisdiction than Kevin did. And because Jennifer was the one who reported her missing, that precinct that took the report were the ones keeping an eye open for her on the streets and in that neighborhood, but not in the jurisdiction where she was last seen. Which also seems very odd to me, and not sure if that is standard police protocol. I do recognize it's tricky, and police manpower to look for runaway teens isn't always there, so possibly not the fault of the police, but I have to wonder if there is a better way for the system to work in cases like these. As the police begin to investigate, and some time goes by, they speculate that she might have actually been kidnapped as she disappeared in the same area where the young teenagers Amanda Barry and Gina DeJesus had disappeared a couple years prior. The police did also question Ashley's 16-year-old boyfriend, Gene, and he claimed he was out of town for the 4th of July weekend at a family reunion. Ashley's mom, Jennifer, actually follows Jean around sometimes, hoping he might lead her to Ashley. One time in particular, she follows Jean and sees him enter an abandoned house. She immediately calls the police, who do a search of the property, but find nothing leading them to Ashley. About a month after Ashley disappeared, Jennifer is on break at work when her cell phone rings. She said it came from a blocked caller, and when she answered it, she heard a young girl say, Mom, it's me. It's Ashley. I'm okay. And then the call was cut off. She felt pretty certain at the time that it was definitely Ashley, but looking back now, she has said she just isn't sure as it happened so fast. For some reason, she also didn't tell police about the call for some time. When the FBI began investigating the case later on, she did mention the call to them, but too much time had gone by they couldn't obtain the phone records. Jennifer also wasn't sure of the date that she had received the call, so it was hard to pinpoint any activity and where the call could have even originated from. Also, shortly after Ashley disappeared, her grandfather and step-grandmother were driving down A Street when they saw a young woman walking their direction on the sidewalk. They apparently had a very recognizable car, and the young woman walking was staring into the car intently as it drove by. Her grandmother said she looked at the young woman and immediately thought it was Ashley. She had cut her hair shorter and dyed it blonde, but she was almost certain it was her. They did drive back to see if they could find her, but she had vanished. The grandmother didn't tell the police this story right away, but later on, they did mention it to the FBI. The Unfound podcast has a great interview with the grandmother, and the host asks her why she didn't go to the police sooner with that info. She said she had no contact at the police station. She didn't know who to call. She didn't know who was in charge. And the police had always acted as if they didn't really care about Ashley's case and weren't really doing anything. And that's why they didn't run to them with everything. 
they essentially felt as if they were on their own. I know for many people that might raise red flags, but the family has made the media rounds a bit, and I truly think they felt as if the police weren't very interested in the case. It also seems that Ashley had had some trouble before with running away, so everyone, including her family, was really leaning to that theory in the beginning. In 2013, Cleveland made national headlines when Amanda Berry and Gina DeJesus, along with a third girl, were rescued from a home on Seymour Avenue on Cleveland's west side. The girls had been held captive for 10 years in the home, but were all alive. The media immediately reported that day that three, possibly four, Young women were recovered from that home, but they only released the names of Amanda and Gina. Ashley's family was certain that one of the other rescued girls was Ashley. Jennifer's phone began to ring off the hook with people telling her to turn the news on. Her stomach was in knots and she was crying as she watched the miraculous story unfold on her television. Jennifer said she didn't know what to do. She felt like she should go to the hospital and be there or call the police or go to the police station. And she just was feeling a myriad of emotions. But she silently watched the news and truly believed her phone was about to ring any minute with someone on the other end telling her Ashley had been found. During an evening press conference, the police would announce that the third woman found was Michelle Knight, and the fourth would actually be a young child, Amanda's child, that was fathered by her captor, Ariel Castro. No sign of Ashley Summers anywhere. Of course, most everyone knows the case of Ariel Castro, especially if you are from the Cleveland area. And some wonder if he still may have had something to do with Ashley's disappearance. And if that's the case, sadly, we may never know as he committed suicide in prison shortly after his arrest in 2013. In 2015, a new lead would surface when a woman wanted for criminal activity in Rhode Island would be showcased all over the news. This young woman was caught on camera trying to use an ATM card. The image was pretty clear and caught the eye of some people aware of the Ashley Summers case. Before long, Jennifer was receiving links to articles about this and photos of this young woman with people thinking it might be Ashley. Some family members swore up and down it was definitely Ashley but Jennifer said she was just never 100% sure. Jennifer, of course, was hopeful and did share this information with the FBI, who was actively working the Ashley Summers case, perhaps even more so after the Ariel Castro arrest put Cleveland in the limelight in 2015. The FBI also agreed that this woman looked remarkably like Ashley Summers. 
This case also caught the attention of Dr. Phil, who offered up a facial recognition expert, and during one of his shows, had an expert analyze Ashley's photo with the unidentified woman in Rhode Island. And the expert said she was an 80% match. The FBI would go on to locate this woman, however, and they did confirm it was not Ashley. So the latest twist in the Ashley Summers story will come in 2018. Ashley's uncle, Kevin, the one she had been living with at the time of her disappearance, would be arrested and charged with rape, gross sexual misconduct, promoting prostitution, and a laundry list of other charges against underage girls. Kevin Donathan would be convicted on December 4, 2018, and sentenced to 35 years in prison. He was 55 years old at the day of his sentencing. After his conviction, his home was searched in connection with Ashley's disappearance. There isn't much information available on the search itself, but the backyard was thoroughly searched and nothing was found. Kevin has also denied having anything to do with Ashley's disappearance. So this brings us to present day. With no new clues as to Ashley Summers' whereabouts. So let's talk for a minute about the persons in this case you might be thinking could be connected or responsible in any way. First, we have the boyfriend, Gene. He did seem to have an alibi, but no one actually ever rules him out completely, which I find interesting, including the police. In the years after Ashley's disappearance, Gene has found himself in and out of jail multiple times on drug offenses and petty theft charges. He still claims that he knows nothing about the whereabouts of Ashley or what happened to her. And he said that her case has tormented him emotionally for years. He was subjected to multiple interviews, he was followed by family members, and I'm sure he was questioned often by friends and neighbors and people who knew him. It does seem unlikely that it was Jean, but the FBI are quick to say that nobody has been ruled out. Next, let's look at Ashley's mother. I have to admit, I thought Jennifer's behavior at times was odd as I read through articles and watched a few news clips with her. But honestly, I feel that with Ashley's history of running away before, and the fact that they have a large family network around them, I just think the police weren't their go-to for help in this situation. I also think that she honestly kept believing that Ashley would come walking back through that door at any moment. I have seen Jennifer being criticized for not doing more to find her daughter, and many have said she doesn't post about her on social media, while other families are posting all the time. But I just think it's easy to judge other people when you aren't in their shoes. Then we have Ariel Castro. Lots of rumors have spread about any possible involvement he may have had, 
But all three of the girls rescued, Amanda, Gina, and Michelle, have said there was never another girl in the house with them at any time. At one point, some rumors circulated that Ashley's name was carved in the basement walls of Castro's home with rest in peace, Ashley. But the FBI has come out and said that was not true. Castro himself admitted to mostly everything the three girls had accused him of. He told the detectives a lot of details about how he committed his crimes and how he was able to get away with it for so long. I tend to think he would have just owned up to it had he actually done something to Ashley or even another young girl. But really, this is something we may never know. Ashley didn't fit his pattern either, as Amanda, Gina, and Michelle were women that he had contact with and some connection with. Amanda and Gina were actually friends with his teenage daughter at the time. So it's hard to put a connection to Ariel Castro and Ashley, but it did happen in the same time frame and in the same area. So then lastly, we have Uncle Kevin. This one gives me the most pause, as it does a lot of other people, because so much seems to point to him. Obviously, he has a sexually deviant history with young girls. Ashley was living with him. He had broken her cell phone, so she had no contact with anyone else. That fight escalating to the breaking of her cell phone kind of points to some violence tendencies also. And sure, all of this could be completely unrelated to her disappearance, but it also might not be. I did read through his court documents for his 2018 charges, and the only thing I can think about is he did admit to those crimes eventually, and he did apologize, and he seemed quite torn up about everything in court, when listening to statements from the girls he abused. This seems like it's another case where I think if he did indeed do something, he would have owned up to it by now. Even if he didn't admit it. Okay, maybe he doesn't want to hurt his own family members by admitting that he did something to his own niece. I could definitely see that being a possibility. But he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy smart enough to get rid of Ashley and leave no evidence behind. But again, remember, we are in Cleveland, Ohio, right next to Lake Erie, a huge body of water and a lake that Kevin was very familiar with. And because police felt she was a runaway from the very beginning, I don't believe any property searches were conducted at his house right after she vanished. So if he did do something or is guilty of something, he would have had plenty of time to cover up or clean up a crime scene. Honestly, I am not sure if Kevin is responsible in any way for Ashley's disappearance, but I can only hope that doing 35 years in prison will give him plenty of time to think and hopefully come forward to give the family peace if he did actually do something to Ashley. This also all took place in an area of Cleveland that is known for drugs and prostitution, 
It was definitely not the best of neighborhoods. And as much as all of these people in Ashley's life could easily be a suspect, it is equally as likely that a stranger got a hold of her while she was out walking or that she got hung up with the wrong people. So what do you think happened to Ashley Summers? Ashley Summers was five foot five, 130 pounds, brown hair and blue eyes at the time of her disappearance. She would be 27 years old today. If you have any information as to the whereabouts of Ashley Summers, please contact the Cleveland FBI at 216-622-6842. For more information on Ashley and to see photos involved with her case, visit her page at charlieproject.org. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media for case updates, announcements, and our upcoming charity partner information. Thank you for tuning into this episode and listening to Ashley's story. We encourage you to spread the word and keep Ashley's name out there. Someone has to know something. We will be back again next week with another episode. And until next time, stay safe and hug your loved ones.